I was really struggling as we walked through the aftermath. It just felt like every day was a struggle. It was hard to breathe sometimes. It was hard to just function day to day. And it was so lonely. When Carrie learned of her husband's affair, she felt betrayed by God. She lost hope until she heard a Focus on the Family podcast. The reason why I listened to it over and over again is because it felt like I was sitting down with a friend who was telling me, like, I've been there and it's okay and you can do this and I promise in the end it's going to be worth it. And it just broke me in a good way. I'm Jim Daly. Working together, we can heal more broken marriages like Carrie's and give families hope. Please call 800-the-letter-A-in-the-word-family. That's 800-A-FAMILY. Or donate at focusonthefamily.com slash hope. And your gift will be doubled. If you have a child who is struggling to make good choices, or you know someone who is, this episode of the podcast is for you. I'm John Fuller, along with Dr. Danny Huerta, who heads our parenting department. And Danny, uh, the statistics are very disturbing about addiction today in young people. Yeah, I was looking at the National Center for Drug Abuse Statistics, and listen to these, John. It says that one of eight teenagers abuse an illicit substance every year. Mm, wow. So one in eight. And then almost 12 million of 18 to 25-year-olds struggle with binge drinking. Mm. And if you look, look at the statistics, they go all the way to eighth graders. And eighth graders, 9% of eighth graders are uh, using substances, even alcohol. It is a problem. It's a very real issue and uh, the big one for me is that over, overdose deaths, the big one for me is that overdose deaths have gone up 500% since 1999 for 15 to 24-year-olds. Wow. That has to stop. John. It's out of control. I have a friend whose daughter works at an emergency room, and she told him the biggest problem we have, the number one problem isn't drugs, it's alcohol. So mm-hmm. some of those stats that you shared would back that up right. in terms of the, uh, the availability and the abuse of it. Well, we are going to hear now some more from Allison Botke, and uh, she walked a difficult journey with her son. Here she is with Jim Daly. Going back to that question of enabling mm-hmm. versus uh, helping mm-hmm. in a loving way, what were those things specifically with your son that you think back on now that you enabled him, that it actually worked against him? For me, I think it was making excuses, making excuses for the trouble he was getting into and the... What did that sound like in your head when he got into trouble? What did you say to yourself? Well, we were living in Southern California, Huntington Beach. He was a young kid that got caught up in the the punk crowd and the very anarchistic movement. You know, it was all anti-establishment and he would get thrown out of school. He'd play hooky. I'd make excuses. Well, you know, the teachers don't understand him or they don't really appreciate his intellect or the I mean I, I just uh, well I, these are things crazy. that all of us yeah. as parents do I mean you, that's why but, I wanted to you some, to express I, them I think to some extent we all do but not not that that's a hard one because I think a lot of parents don't have that back you know the history that I have but a lot of a lot of them you know, have gone through some painful things so they're compensating somehow mm-hmm. and that well, you want to be understanding you know oh well yes <laughs> <laughs> there you go you got it so for me that excuses were, were was a big thing for me. What was the breaking point between you and your son? What was that incident that arrested your attention and then you went, uh-oh, we've got a lot of work in front of arrest, us? Arrest, that's a good term, arrested, because it, it, my son was arrested. It was New Year's Eve. 
Actually, Rebecca, he got he had a horrible motorcycle accident. Almost killed himself. He was uh, metal pins in his arms and in his legs. He was lucky to be alive, <laughs> and got caught back up in the drug movement. But see, it was pain. It was pain management. Opioids were so prescribed. So there he is, back into drugs again. Uh, and mm. the SWAT team broke into his house and arrested him. And I got a call because I my name was on his lease. I paid for the house for a lease. I put my name on it. And it was a nightmare when I walked into that house after a SWAT team. You don't even, you see it on TV, but you can't comprehend what it's like in reality. And the house itself was a trash can. I mean, there were just bottles everywhere. It was New Year's Eve. There would have been a party there. Um, but it was, it, I walked in there. I thought, this is, no human being should live like this. Mm. But then the connection to me really was that I put my name on the lease. I paid for this. It's not this mess I'm looking at. I'm financially liable so for this So that's one mess. enabling right there. Oh, my gosh. Big, big, big. And that woke me up in, in a way that... You know, I, I don't know that I'd have ever really realized before. You know, so I'm standing there at the sink, dumping out li- liquor into his sink, looking out this window that was broken because that's where they threw the smoke bomb in the window. The whole house smelled acrid, like like uh, chemicals from the from the SWAT teams. It was crazy, and I'm thinking, how does somebody live like this? Mm. You know, and that connection was just so hard for me to make that Chris was back into this lifestyle again. Why couldn't he get off that gerbil wheel? But it wasn't just, why couldn't he get off the gerbil wheel? Why couldn't I get off of it? And I realized at that point, I had to stop. I had to completely Mm. stop. And that's where my sanity steps came. I had to stop doing what I was doing and figure out why I was doing it. And no no more focusing on him. I wasn't going to bail him out either. There was... Well, it was the last time I bailed them out. I think, you know, that's where we're going to come back next mm-hmm. time and speak to those things that you learned, the acronym SANITY <laughs> and what that stands yeah. for. And that's really the basis of your book, trying to help parents uh, be better equipped than you were as they begin to face these difficulties with their, I would say, codependent adult children and what what they're, uh, you know, what they're getting out of the relationship with mom and dad. So let's do that. At the end here, Allison, without knowing those things, I'm mindful that we have pretty much ripped a Band-Aid off of some parents that are listening, mm-hmm. that they have that 20-something child. And perhaps it is a prodigal child. Perhaps it is uh, related to drug abuse or some of those extreme behavioral things that some people get themselves into, particularly in their 20s. And uh, what word would you have for them? It's before you had your moment, (laughs) your realization that I've got to change direction. God, I need your help. What would you say to that parent that is listening going, wow, okay. I need change. I, I would say that one word is hope. Never give up hope. There's You can change. Your child can change. God is beyond capable of taking care of this nightmare that you're in. So hang on to that hope. Realize that if we have hearts filled with hope, no, nothing's impossible. So we just can't give up hope. And that's it. We get so frustrated and fearful and just tired. Parents get tired. So... Um, Especially at this you know, time, twenties. If they've, it, chances are this didn't just happen overnight. That they're having challenges with a, whether it's a dysfunctional child, failure to launch child, a troubled child. This isn't an overnight thing. So it's been going on for a while, <laughs> and we just get tired and we want to give up. So I would say just hang on to hope that anything's possible. What did you do specifically when you felt 
you were leaning into hopelessness, though. There had to be those nights when you're laying oh. your head on your pillow and you're saying to God, I don't want to assume, so correct me if oh, I'm wrong, but absolutely. Lord, I don't see hope here. Absolutely. And, and it was hard um, just to say, I just, I just can't deal with this. He's, I, I bought a life insurance policy for my son when he was 25, 26 years old, so I could afford to bury him because I knew he wasn't going to live. I knew he was going to die. He was going to kill himself. Drugs, motorcycle, something. So I'm thinking proactively, what can I do? Okay, I can't, I can't afford to bury him. I better pay for this life insurance policy. And I remember sitting there thinking, this is just not how it's supposed to be. This is not how parenting is supposed to be. Mm. And realizing that, okay, I had to shine. Again, that's where I had to shine the light back on me. Why am I doing this? It's not so much... Why, why our kids are doing the things they're doing. That's important, but how have we contributed to this? What is it that we have to do? What is it that we have to change to be able to have hope, to be able to help these kids in a helpful way you know, and be able to separate? It's a separation because we're just, you know, we're, we're still connected to these kids, mm-hmm. you know, and um, there's got to be that separation. Yeah. No, I so appreciate you know, that, Allison, in your heart and I see the tears, and um, you know it's still raw, and yeah. that's appreciated by the people that are suffering and going through it right now. And I love the idea. Hang on to hope. That's all you've got. Well, we mentioned this last time, and Allison brought it up today, Danny, that um, you can't lose hope. Hmm. Our, our God is great. He He sees things that we don't see. So how can a parent practice having hope? Because those emotions just kind of wash over and make Mm. you feel despair again and again and again. Boy, John, practice is a key word in that one. It feels unnatural in those moments to go towards hope. It's very natural to go to hopelessness, helplessness. So you have to practice it as Mm. if you're working out. You have to bring your mind towards that. And it begins with prayer. You have to to trust in that God is still... Mm working in this situation and that he's listening carefully. Make sure you surround yourself with people that you trust, where you can vomit emotionally, because it's truly that. You're, uh, and this is a hard thing. It's not easy to have a child that is destroying themselves, and you just sit on the sidelines yeah. and hope for good things. You, you want to step in. I mean, most of us, pretty much the majority of us, would die for our kids. And when we're seeing our kids die from the inside out, it's hard. And so I... I would say that you, as you have that trusted support, lean into that as much as you, you can. Do some things to take care of your own mind so that you don't lose it. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's exercise, eating well, sleeping, praying, reading God's Word. And one big one is maintaining unity between husband and wife during this time. It can completely destroy a home if we don't watch out. So make sure you're guarding your marriage as you're going through a hard time with your kids. And I, I know it probably feels to somebody like, that is just too much. I can't do all of that. And you're right. You can't do it alone. So right. lean into other people. Find a counselor. Uh, get some outside help. And be vulnerable with the people around you to say, I need something. It might mm-hmm. be that they can provide some meals. They can do some ongoing uh, you know, work around the house. Get the load lightened a bit because God doesn't want you to go under he wants to work, and he is working. Uh, really, you just have to care for yourself and trust in him. We talked a lot about that last mm, episode. That's a good point. We'll land there. There is hope. Mm. If you don't know where to turn, uh, give us a call, please. We've been 
uh, here for 45 years helping families worldwide. Focus on the Family has a team of terrific, caring Christian counselors. They're a phone call away. 800, the letter A in the word family. And the link will be in the show notes. Uh, We've got to find a counselor tool as well if you'd like to find somebody in your local area. Uh, If you can, make a generous monthly pledge to support Focus on the Family. It makes our counseling team available. It makes podcasts like this available. It allows us to send books like Alison Bakke's Setting Boundaries with Your Adult Children. Um, Donate today, and we'll send that book to you as our way of saying thanks for being a part of the support team. And uh, for now, on behalf of Dr. Danny Huerta and the entire team, I'm John Fuller, and thanks for listening to the Focus on the Family Parenting Podcast. A mysterious phone call and a new nemesis? Emily Jones and Matthew Parker are on the case. I just need to find out who this person is. Oh, it sounds like a real mystery. It all starts with a phone caller threatening to blackmail Jones and Parker's friend Jeremy. But this new nemesis won't stop there. Can Emily and Matthew figure out who this blackmailer is before it's too late? Solve the mystery with them by reading Jones and Parker Case Files, The Nemesis. It's the second book in the series with 16 new stories full of fun, faith, and intrigue. It's a great way for kids ages 8 to 12 to sharpen their detective skills while learning important values. Inspect clues, examine the evidence, and try to guess who done it. This is going to be harder than I thought, Mr. Whitaker. Oh, stop saying that, Priscilla. Relax. We're going to have a blast. For more, go to adventuresinodyssey.com slash jonesandparker. That's adventuresinodyssey.com slash jonesandparker.